John, the book of 3 John. If you have your Bibles tonight, I hope you do. If you don't, someone I'm sure can share with you. I hope you enjoy every time the kids sing. It's entertaining to watch them sometimes. That was one of my kids, by the way, that was... He fell off the, he fell off the front seat. So, yes, he's a little clumsy. Us fines can be a little clumsy. We, we tend to... I'm fine, though. Yes. All right. I have spoken out of this passage a few times, but it really is one that has uh, meant something special to me. I've learned several things out of it. The book of 3 John, what we're going to do is we're going to begin reading in verse 9. We'll read down to verse 11, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and then we will get into the message this evening. First, 3 John, chapter number, well, there's only one chapter, but verse 9, the Bible says, I wrote unto the church... But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this evening. Lord, I thank you for a good number of Patch and Pee Wee kids. Lord, I thank you, as Pastor mentioned earlier, I thank you for their families. I thank you that uh, whether they are a church family that comes regularly or whether we pick them up on a van every week, I thank you for the fact that they entrust uh, the ministering of, of their children to us. Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, for their willingness. I thank you for those who have invested into Patch. Uh, maybe they don't have a child in Patch, but they've given of, what of their funds. Uh, Lord, I, 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 just, I, I praise you for all of those in our church who uh, are having a part in, Lord, the spiritual upbringing of these children. Lord, and I, I know that, Lord, that won't be returned void. Lord, it won't come back void. I know that you're going to do a special work through our patch ministries. You already have. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless that ministry. I pray that you would uh, help us to be faithful in giving uh, the word to, your, to these kids every single week. I pray that, Father, you would just bless them. And I pray that uh, maybe through it, not just will we see kids saved, but I pray that we could see them grow in their walk with you. I pray that, Father, maybe even you would... Uh, call someone to ministry through it. Or, Lord, you would work on their hearts or you would uh, just be able to guide and direct them uh, whatever path it is that you have for their lives, that you would begin that path now. And, Lord, I pray that you would just work. Father, I know that you have spoken to my heart uh, very specifically about Third John, and, and you've shown me some things. And I pray that, uh, Father, what I have studied and uh, what, what I have prepared for, what you've spoken to my heart about, that, uh, you would just speak to all of our hearts this evening. I pray that uh, you would keep back any distractions. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, we would give our full attention to the word of God. And Lord, I pray that we would just allow you to do a work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that through your word, we will be challenged, we'll be convicted. And Lord, through it, we'd be changed. Uh, Lord, to look closer like you, that we would uh, represent you uh, in all that we say and do, 
Lord, we do love you. We do thank you for your blessings. In your name we pray. Amen. As I begin, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever gone away for a day or two or maybe a week? Maybe you were gone on, on vacation somewhere and you got back and you realized something bad happened in your home. Maybe a pipe burst. Maybe you realized there was a broken window. Maybe you realized someone had broken in. Or, or maybe you realized that, that something uh, was just left undone and, it, and something bad happened in your home. The wonderful thing about having three little guys in my home is that sometimes they do things that end up costing me money. They end up breaking things at times. And sometimes it's, it's not deliberate. Sometimes it is. Sometimes they, they, it's just an accident, but they have to be taught not to do certain things. My, a couple years ago, some of you who were involved in this, you may remember, but I think about two or three years ago, uh, my wife and I, I don't remember where we went, but I think we went out of town for a day or two or a few days, and, and we got back and we realized that in our basement, the entire utility room where we wash all of our clothes was, in, was flooded. The whole entire thing. There was water everywhere. And we didn't really know what was going on. We thought, oh, great, maybe a, maybe we, a, a pipe had burst. Maybe something had happened. Uh, we didn't know what was going on. And so I, I called some people. I, I, I had Pastor come over there. We, we thought that that's where a hot water heater is. So it, it looked like all the water was coming from our hot water heater. We thought, great. Uh, our hot water heater went out while we were gone. All the water is over everywhere. We've got some clothes there. We've got, it's just a huge mess. So I called Brother Sean. Brother Sean came over. I called, I think it was Brother, Brother Lou helped us. By the way, I still have your sub pump. That's it's like a couple, a few years, but I'll make sure I get that back to you. But we got all the water up, and guess what? Happened again, like right away. And we thought, okay, we've got, we've got a serious problem here. So we, we ended up calling a plumber, and we had a plumber come out, and after about, I think it was two $300 of, of snake, we couldn't snake anything out ourselves. He came and he told us, and he said, okay, look, here's what happened. He said, we had to snake it all the way out to the road. And he said, I don't know how, but he said, there was an entire roll of toilet paper blocking the sewage line. The way that we really found that out was, was when we went beyond the utility room, we went to our bathroom downstairs, and let's just say it wasn't a very pretty sight in the shower and everywhere that we had drainage. It was pretty disgusting, actually. So they had to come... And they had, I don't know how he did it there. It was just literally the cardboard and all to, the toilet, to that roll of toilet paper was blocking all of the sewage line. And the sewage could not flow adequately and correctly to its designated position. And as a result, it left us having to fork out money. It left us having to spend a night in the hotel it left us with having to clean up a bunch of a mess. It, it left us in a big mess, okay? Now, that's just the joy of parenting. That's just the joy, I guess, of owning a home. But I want you to think about this. The house of God is supposed to be a place of worship. 
a place of peace, a place of fellowship, a place of service, a place of joy, a place of instruction, a place of redemption and reconciliation, a place of holiness, a place of goodness, love, kindness, and a place where all who come can be helped. A church and as Christians, as a church and Christians, we are asked to accurately represent our Lord and Savior to every individual, saved or lost, be it in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our business dealings, in our schools, in our communities, and in our everyday relationships. I want you to understand this. God wants to, he wants to allow his goodness to flow through us that it might make a difference in the life of somebody else at church, in our relationships. He wants to, he wants to work through us. But here's what happens. Sometimes that spiritual channel becomes blocked. And instead of God being able to uh, show his goodness and his love, and, and, and instead of that work being able to be accomplished through us, it gets backed up into our homes, and it gets backed up into, in, in a bad sense. We, 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 there's a blockage. We end up finding our, sometimes our marriages or our relationships in a mess. Sometimes we find our churches having very strong difficulties and different things that are taking place that, that really are needless, all because there is a blockage taking place. God wants to flow through us, but something's happening. And I want you to understand, when you go to the book of 3 John, I want you to look again in verse 1. And we're going to read some verses, and I want to tie that theme into 3 John. Because I believe that's exactly what we see happening in this passage. John says this in verse 1, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. He's writing to a man named Gaius, and we don't know exactly Gaius' position in this church, but we understand he's saying, look, he says, I know that you're going through some difficult times. He says, I, I wish that spiritually, he said, I wish that physically you would prosper as much as you've been prospering spiritually. This is a man who had a walk with God. This is a man who was truly representing the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of the people that he was serving. Here, God was flowing freely through this man, and his work was, was, was accomplishing something. Something was happening. And he says this, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I want you to know something. He says in verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What he was saying was this. He says, Gaius, you don't just say that you represent Christ. You show it. You've proved it. You've not just said, oh, I'm a Christian, I love God, but you backed it up with your words. You backed it up with your actions. You backed it up by what you did for other people and what you have done for other people. You've proven your love to them. He says this, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because for that, for his name's sake, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers 
to the truth. Understand this, he says, listen, there were people who came, strangers, individuals that you, you didn't know, people who were serving God, and when they came in your presence, you were hospitable to them. You were kind to them. You took them in. You provided for their needs. You were a fellow helper to the work of God. You proved it with your actions. You were a blessing to other people. And when you understand it, John is saying, look, I'm excited for what's been happening in that church. I'm excited for what's been going on. God's work has been flowing freely. But then when we get to verse 9, we start to see a blockage taking place. We start to see the work of God being hindered. We start to begin to see a, a mess being, you know, taking place. Things started getting ugly. Things started getting bad. And, and what happened? What? God was working in such a wonderful way. What happened in the church? What was that spiritual blockage that was taking place? And we're going to look at that, but I want you to think, I want you to apply that to our lives. I want you to understand, God wants to use us to be a channel of love and goodness and help to those around us. But we must be careful not to allow this channel to become clogged and hindered. When we look at this passage, I want you to understand, there's several things that we can see that causes spiritual blockages. What is it that blocks God's work from accomplishing what, it want, what God wants it to be accomplished in. What happens? How do we hinder the work of God? Whether it's in the church, whether it's in our ministries, whether it's in our families or our relationships or in our workplace, what hinders the work of God? We see this in verse 9. I want you to look at this. Several things. Number one, he says in verse 9, he says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Number one, here's how we block the work of God. Here's how we hinder it. When I become more important than God and his work. The first step is when I become more important than God and his work. He says, Diotrephes, we don't know exactly this man's position. He had a leadership position. He was, could have been the pastor. He could have been maybe an a, a, a executive deacon. I don't know what he was. But he, could have been, he, was, he was a prominent individual in this church. He was a leader. He was someone who you would think, man, this is a person, this is definitely a person that God would work through. And something special would be accomplished. But he's, when, he, when he begins to talk about the character of Diotrephes, here's what he says. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence. Here's what he says. Understand this. What does that mean? What does it mean? Loveth means that he had a strong desire. He was, it was that friendly. It was that attachment. It was that, that desire. Oh, I, I've got to have this. And preeminence means I want that first place. I want that recognition. I want to be the one that's noticed. I want people to know that I'm in charge. I want that person. I want everyone around me to see me. That's what was taking place in Diotrephes' life. For Diotrephes, life became about him and not about God and not about the work of God. There's a one-letter word that describes that very well in the Bible. What is that word? It's pride. It really is. It's pride. Let's do a history lesson in pride. 
Where's, where do we find the first instance of pride in the Bible? How did it begin? Where do we see it beginning? With who? Where do we see it beginning in the Bible? Okay. Don't talk all at once. It's okay. You can talk loud. I can't hear you up here. Okay. Let's go. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. And I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. And look in verse 11, if you would. We'll read a few verses. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 11. The Bible says, if you're not there yet, it's okay. The Bible says in verse 11, Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weakest the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Ezekiel 28, verse 15, the Bible says, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. When you look at Isaiah chapter 14, it talks about a man, I mean about someone named Lucifer, right? Lucifer is who? Satan. Do you notice a word in there that was mentioned several times? I. Satan said, I want this. I want to be God. I, I want to be exalted above all. I want this. He says in Ezekiel again, he says, thine heart was lifted up. You see, the sin of pride was manifested in heaven and caused problems and its filthy residue backed up into the beautiful Garden of Eden, eventually covering mankind with its stench. Pastor talked about Adam and Eve this morning. What happened? You're not going to surely die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. God doesn't want you to have that power. He doesn't want you to have that. God doesn't know what's best for you. You can be somebody. You can go ahead and just do what you want. That's what he told Adam and Eve. Told Eve. It was that pride. Oh, I want this. And I want you to think. It goes beyond that. You understand that the stench of pride amongst mankind is still reaching the nostrils of God Almighty. In today's world, man has become his own God. You don't have to be around very long to tell that we live in a very selfish society. What can I do that's going to benefit me? I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to let everyone else take care of me. I don't, I, you know what, it's all about me. You go, to the, you go to the schools, I, I was reading something the other day where a teacher was, had gotten upset and she said, listen, enough's enough. She said, we as teachers, and this isn't a public school setting, she said, we as teachers, we can't even teach the kids because so-and-so's kids can't do anything wrong. Every time I try to give them a bad grade or every time I, I try to get on to them, I get a parent that calls me and says, listen, my kid didn't do anything, you're the problem. 
You see, we say we live in a society that it says, listen, I have no problems. It's about me. I will do what I want. I will do when I want it. I will do what I want when I want to do it. I don't really care who it affects. You don't, just, I promise you this, all you have to do is Google live for yourself and you will find all kinds of things on there where people, actors, singers, they say, you know what, just live for yourself. Life's about you. You don't need God. You don't need anyone else. Just do what pleases yourself. The problem is, is this same stench often finds its ways into the homes and churches of God's people. The same attitude often is found in the very people who it shouldn't be found in. We say, oh, I don't really care about myself, but we spend doing all the thing, time doing all the things that we want to do instead of doing the things that we know we should do. Soul winning. Or visiting or different things that we could do. Different ways that we could be a blessing, spending time with our family or different things. Because you know what? I just, I got to pencil that in. It doesn't really fit my schedule. We become selfish. Listen, this is what happened. Diotrephes was in the church. This was God's church. This was God's work taking place. And for Diotrephes, life had become about himself. He wanted people to recognize him. He wanted people to notice him. And I want you to understand, when I, me, and my is manifested in our lives, it's still a shining light to others. However, it is a light shining for Satan and not for the Lord. He says this in verse 11, he says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. When we live for ourselves and life becomes about us and what is best for me, what is best for what I want, what fits my agenda, we're representing to those that come after us, those who are before us, the lost that we are in contact with every day, you're showing them the very attitude of Satan, not the attitude of Christ. We have to get back to understanding that life's not about us. Life is about the Lord, serving him, doing what pleases him, not what satisfies me, but what pleases the Lord. How do we block the work of God? How do we hinder it? When I become more important than God is in his work. Number two, when I am no longer teachable. When I am no longer teachable. I want you to notice this, what he said here in verse 9. He says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. He says, I wrote unto the church. John said, as an apostle, as, 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 as in a sense, that pillar, I, I, I wrote... I, God was wanting me to tell them something, and I was trying to be a help. I was trying to instruct. I was trying to, to, to tell them something of what could be a help to them. But Diotrephes didn't want anything of it. He didn't receive it. He didn't need it. I don't need you to teach me. I don't need to hear what you have to say. I don't need any of that. Diotrephes was a what? He was a know-it-all. He was unteachable. He didn't need the instruction and an advice of others. The Bible says that a godly individual is willing to listen and learn. 
If you think of many people in the Bible that were very teachable, who often asked God to teach them, who would you think of? Are there anyone that you can think of? Okay, David. David, several times. David said this in Psalm 86, 11. He said, teach me thy way, O Lord. In Psalm 25, verse 4 through 5, he says, show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. You know, the one thing that I recognize about David, David wasn't perfect. David, David didn't reach this escalon of, you know, okay, I'm, I, I, I've accomplished everything. I'm untouchable. Even when David messed up, he was honest enough to say, you know what, I did wrong. I messed up. I failed. I made a wrong choice. David was very teachable. Think about this. Think about Solomon at the beginning of his life. When God offered him anything, what did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom. God, direct me. Show me what to do. I can't teach these people. I can't govern these people by myself. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 4. He says in verse 13, Better is a poor and a wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. He says that child, better is that child who will at least listen to what someone has to say than an old king who no longer can be taught. He also said in Proverbs 21 and 11, when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. In Proverbs 13, 18, he says, he says this, he says, poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. What do we understand is that problems are thwarted and honor comes to those who know how to listen to advice. One man said, our troubles begin the moment our teachers believe they know it all and our learners think they are not teachable. It says, troubles come when, when those who are teaching think that they have all the answers in every area that they can no longer grow. And when our learners think, you know what? You can't teach me anything either. It causes problems. It causes rifts. Have you ever tried to work with a person who's unteachable? You ever try to just talk to somebody who cannot be taught anything? Does it get annoying? Yes. Does it get frustrating? Yes. Does it end up causing more problems than there needs to be caused? Yes. Problems come. One man said, if a leader isn't teachable, he will be resistant to hearing instruction both from God and from others and will likely make little progress when it comes to personal growth and spiritual maturity. When we get to the point that we think, you know what, I've heard that message. I've heard that lesson. I know what I'm talking about. We find ourselves on the brink of trouble. We're finding ourselves in a dangerous place when we can no longer be admonished, when we can no longer listen to the advice of others. I want to give you this. I wrote this down. Tips to tell if you are a teachable person. Okay, you ready for this? You ready? Tips to tell if you're a teachable person. And I wrote these down because sometimes... This is what I struggle with, okay? Here's what, number one. How often do you say, I know? How often do you say, when someone's trying to talk to you, and they're trying to tell you something, you say, I know. 
I know, I know, I, I already know that. I know, I know. Oh, I already knew that. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. How often do you say, I know? Number two is this. Are you quick to make excuses when someone's talking to you about something? Do you get on the defensive? Oh, well, you know what? I had this going on, and I had that going on. And you know what? If so-and-so hadn't done this, and, and you know what? If my, if my wife would have just gotten out of the shower in time, we could have been on time for church. Okay? It's the other way around. We make excuses, don't we, sometimes? We try to become defensive. Well, if, if, if I would have just, you know, if, if you would have been there, I could have done this. How often do we make excuses when someone's trying to talk to us? Do we, get, do we become defensive? Number three, do you hunger for God's wisdom and instruction? Do you come to church? And I know, listen, I know sometimes maybe you're not feeling good or, or you've had a rough day. And, and you know what? I'm coming to church and, 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 and you're just, man, I, so I just want to go to bed. <laughs> I understand that there's moments like that. But do you come to church, what would you say that meter's like? From like 1 to 10. You're kind of like, you know what? I'm kind of like this to church. Okay. All right. Okay. Are you like this? Or are you like this? Man, that was good. I'm going to write that down. Oh, that was, you know what? I didn't think about that. Oh, you know what? I've heard that before, but... But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to memorize that verse. Are you excited when you come to church? Man, I'm going to learn something today. I'm gonna, you know, and I know, okay, sometimes you may not be able to get... I can't wax eloquent like other people. But do you try to, Lord, okay, I know someone's preaching, but would you just give me one truth that, I, that, that, that will make a difference in my life? Will you give me one verse? Will you impact my life somehow today? How excited are you... To, to, do you hunger after the word of God? Or is it kind of like a chore? Oh, man, I got to read my Bible today. Oh, man, I got to mark those, those verses off so that way I did it. Do you hunger for the word of God? Number four, are you a good listener or do, or do you try to insert personal opinions and advice right away? When someone's trying to talk to you, do you right away cut them off and say, you know what, this is what I think you should do. You, know, you, you may have the answers, but do you learn to let people talk? Do you just assume that you know the whole situation? Can you think about an, an instance in the Bible where a man was going through some troubling times and he had people who just started talking and giving advice right away? Job. Job's friends. They just, you know what, this is what the, this is what the problem is. They just started giving advice right away, and they didn't even think anything through. But I want you to understand this. Are you quick to tell someone how something should be done or always point out how something someone did wasn't the correct way of doing it? How quick are you to when you notice something? Oh, you know what? They didn't do that the right way. This is how, you should, how it should be done. You know what? It may be you may have the right way to do it. But are you quick to just automatically say, I, I know how to do it the right way. This is how it should be done. How quick are you to do that? Are you a teachable person? How often do you ask or seek for help? A wise man will seek counsel. How often do you go to someone and say, you know what, I'm struggling with this. I need your help. You know what, I, 
I'm just curious. I read this in my, in, in my devotions, and I really don't know what's going on here. Do you, do you seek for, for guidance, for assistance? No matter what stage of life you're in, do you shoot down an idea or other opinions right away just because you don't think it will work? Try to work with somebody. And, and you're excited about this. You're like, you know what, I, I, how about we do this? And, and the people you're talking to, they just kind of, mm, no, that's not going to work. They just kind of shoot you down right away. Oftentimes, that's an unteachable person. Because even though they may have experienced it, even though they may have gone through it, they don't take the time to listen to you. Now, lastly, do I have to be in control of everything, or do I give others a chance to lead and serve? This is what I'm guilty in. I'm a go-getter in the sense of, you know, when I, when, I, when I put together a program or something, oftentimes it's like, okay, this is how I want it to be done. This is everything. And I'm not saying that that's wrong as a leader. I think that you should know exactly, okay, Lord, here's, here's what you're showing me, and I'm going to help those other people to do the same thing. But how quick is it, you know what, I, just let me do it by myself. Sometimes I face that when I'm trying to do a job with my kids, <laughs> trying to work with a four-year-old and a five-year-old. And it's like, you know what, just let daddy do it. Am I teachable? You see, Diotrephes got to this point. He says, I don't need to hear what you have to tell me. I don't need your advice. I don't need your counsel. I'm not going to receive it. When we have come to the point when we're no longer teachable, we can hinder the work of God, not only in the church but in our lives. But thirdly, when my words hurt instead of help. When my words hurt instead of help. The verse 10, the Bible says, Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words. Now, a few months ago, I, I, I spoke out of James on the tongue. And I'm not going to elaborate everything that I talked about there. But I want you to see what was happening in the church here. Diotrephes no longer, not, was, he wasn't just thinking about himself. He wasn't just unteachable. But he used the very gift of his mouth to hurt instead of to help. He says this. He says he was prating. The idea of prating means to run on with the mouth. You ever work with a teenager? Who you're trying to talk to and they're just... Talk to someone and, and they just, you know what, they go on and they go on and they go on. I, I, sometimes I'm, I'm kind of talkative. I can go on and go on and go on about a certain subject because I like to talk. But the idea of prating means, you know what, he was just constantly, constantly biting, constantly attacking, constantly being critical over and over. You ever try to love someone who's constantly critical? Everything that you do, it's, you know what, you did this wrong, and you did this wrong, and you did this wrong, and you know what, you're not doing this right, and you're not doing this right. You know what, I understand, there's got to be a point where we, where we grow, and, we, and you know what, okay, I did this wrong, i got to do this, get back up, do it again. Diotrephes, though, instead of using the gift of speech that God had gave him to be a help to people, to be an encouragement to people, instead of using it to, to farther the kingdom of God, he was attacking people. He was attacking the men of God. It says with malicious words, and that idea of malicious means hurtful, injurious, painful. Not the type of thing that, you know what, this is going to hurt. 
for a little bit, but, it, but in the end it's going to help you. It's, you know what, I'm just going to splice you open for no important, no, 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 for, no, for no reason. It's hurtful. What was happening is he really wasn't using his words in the way that he should have. He was becoming critical. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Our tongue has power to heal or to destroy. Proverbs 10.13 says, Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. Proverbs 12.18 says, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. You see, we hinder the work of God when we are quick to cut each other down. You see, God's goal, his desire is that we would come along inside each other and that we would be a help to each other. We would be an encouragement to each other. Sometimes it's, you may see a brother who, or a sister who's, who you know that they're, they're struggling with something and, and as a friend you go to them and you try to sharpen them with iron. You go, you know what, I, I, I'm not trying to hurt you, I'm not trying to help you. I'm not talking about that. But when we attack each other, you know what, you know, did you know that this person did this? And you know what, this person always does this. And this person has this problem. And this person has this problem. And we're not talking to that person in person. But we always have a habit to point out the faults of other people. Are we being a help to the work of God? Or are we hindering the work of God? We're hindering it. And so I ask you this question. These questions. Number one, do you think before you speak? Now, I don't always. Sometimes I just, <laughs> I'm quick to say something. But how much do you think before you speak? Do you think about the fact, you know what, are the words I'm about to say about this person, are they true? First of all, are they true? Do I know for a fact, 100%, that what I'm saying about this person is completely true? Number two, do I know the whole story? Number three, is it any of my business? Is it any of my business? I want you to understand that. How do you speak about other people in the church? How do you speak about your wives, guys? When you're, you know, I, there's nothing that frustrates me more. Now, sometimes I, I've been guilty, okay? I'm not saying that. But I, I get frustrated when I'm around someone and say, my wife did this and my wife did that and my wife did this and my wife did that and she doesn't do this and she doesn't do that. Or my husband does this, and my husband doesn't do this, and he, he has failed me here. He's done this, and he's done this, and he's done this, and he's done this, and he's done this. And usually it's the guy who has more, but he's done this, and he's this, and this, and this, and this. How often do you talk about each other in a negative way? We are all going to fail each other at times. But it doesn't mean that we have to cut each other down. I've said this several times, but one of the, if I remember anything Dr. Getch at school said, he said, only little people... Cut down other people so that way they can see eye to eye. It takes a little person to cut someone else down just so that way they can see eye to eye. I can't let this person look better than me, so I'm going to point out their faults. I'm going to chop them down so that way now we can see eye to eye. We hinder the work of God when we use our words to hurt instead of help. Number four, when I fail to love like Christ. When I miss the opportunities to love like Christ. He says in verse 10 again, at the very bottom of that, he says, And not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, 
and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Here was an opportunity that God had gave the atrophies to be a blessing and show the love of Christ to other people. And instead of being a help, he rejected them and he threw them out of the church. And even those who, those, uh, he said, you know what, I, I'm not even going to let anyone in the church do it. We're not even going to recognize this person or these people. He missed the opportunity to love like Christ. Pastor, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, go back on this. Pastor talked about this in the Valentine's Bank. We talked about this a little bit this morning. But when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and when you understand what charity really does mean and what that agape love really does mean, it's so much more. It's not a feeling. It's not just, oh, you know what, I just love you and I'm, I, I feel cuddles over you. And you know what, sometimes I don't like everybody. Sometimes I don't like me. Most of the time I don't like me. Yeah. Love is a choice. Love is an action. True love, it proves itself. It doesn't just feel. It's not just spoken. It actually thinks about the needs of others and works to meet those needs. This charity suffereth long. It is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, it is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. You see, understand this, true love for someone or something, if you really do love them the way that God would love them, it's not something that is just spoken. It's proven. It's seen. Did not Christ do that for us? But God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't say, you know what? I love you. You're important to me. I care about the fact that you're a sinner. I want you to be in heaven. You know what? I hope you get there. He said, you're important to me. I love you. Let me prove it by giving my life for you. Let me prove it by letting my blood be shed. I will willingly give my life. To pay for the sins that you have committed against me. I will be the forgiveness that you need. I'll prove to you that I love you. You see, I want you to understand this. I wrote these down and I, and, and I, and I was just doing this. I want you to understand. I fear sometimes that loving people becomes a chore. Something that we put a check mark on one day a week. And I want you to understand, displaying the love of Christ, whether it's in our marriages, whether it's in our homes, whether it's in our church or in our ministries, it's far more than just an event that takes place on Sunday and Wednesday. It's something that should take place all throughout the week. Always finding a way to say, you know what, God, help me to show your love to someone. Help me to be that accurate representation of you before my neighbors, before my coworkers. Not just telling them, but proving to them, showing them, reaching out to people daily. I, I want you to understand this. I, I wrote this down. My kids hear me say I love them every day. But they see that I love them when I take them on a walk. When I go get ice cream with them, when I let them have the rest of my dessert. My wife hears me say I love you every day, but she sees my love when I stop in the midst of something important to pay attention to her. 
When I stop to say, you know what, I know I'm busy, but sweetheart, what do you need? How can I help you? She sees that I love her. She doesn't just hear it. When I brush her hair, I don't understand that. I don't understand how the, the one thing that she loves more than anything is when I brush her hair. It's like it puts her to sleep or something, okay? I don't understand that. I, I, it's weird to me. When I do the dishes for her, she hates dishes. I hate dishes. But it means something to her when I do them. When I kiss her goodnight. When I wash the kids for a couple hours so she can catch her breath. Being a mom, I, I, she was gone for like five days or something like that, and I had all three boys. She's not allowed to do that again. <laughs> I'm amazed at what a mom goes through. I'm amazed at what they're capable of accomplishing. Sometimes it gets rough, and sometimes they just need a little breather. And it means the world to her if I say, sweetheart, you know what, I got some studying to do. Why don't, why don't you lay the kids down? I'll stay at home. I'll do some studying so you can go and take a break for just a few minutes. A few minutes. I tell those I minister to I love them. But they see it when I take the time to talk to them after a service. When I visit them in their homes, which I don't do enough of. When I get lunch or coffee with them or I, I ask them if they're free to get lunch at some point. When I seek their opinions. Hey, what do you think about this? What's your idea about this? What do you think? How, how, you know, what, you got some ideas about this area? When I seek that, when I write them a postcard, put it in the mail. Some of you are like, you know what? I've never got a postcard from Brother Fine. I am sorry. I will work on it. I don't always love like I should, but it is truly my desire to help. But I find that problems arise when I fail to care like I should. And when we lose sight of that, we cripple the work of God when we are no longer concerned and involved in the lives of others or when loving others is a chore and not a gift. You're in a dangerous position when you find yourself saying, you know what, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to be there? Why, why do I have to, to tell someone about the gospel? Why do I have to tell? You know what? Listen, it is a gift of God that we could do something. And I know that we're not always perfect in it. But we're in a dangerous position if loving people becomes a chore. It is hard work. It is a duty. It is a God-given responsibility, and which is why you should say, you know what? If a ministry opportunity pops up, you know what? I may not like kids. But if I'm asked to do it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something because I'm going to choose to do something that's going to help them. I'm going to spend time with someone because I know in the end it's going to help them and, farther and, make, and bring glory to the Lord. Jesus, love is a choice. Galatians 6.10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those that are of the household of the faith. What does your love for people look like? If someone, if you were to you think of someone in your mind right now, and you'd say, you know what, I know that I love them, but do I prove it? How do I prove it? How can I prove my love for them this week? I tell them I love them, but what is one thing I can do this week for my Sunday school class? for my kids, grandkids, for my wife, for my husband, for my neighbor, for my coworker, what is one thing that I can do this week 
that will show the love of Christ to them. Put it down and accomplish it this week. And lastly, when position and recognition becomes more important than service. You get to the end of that and he says this. He says, And not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would. When you look at Diotrephes, what is a characteristic you saw about him? He was bossy. Now I understand there comes a point where if you're a boss, if you're a manager, if you know what, God gave you that responsibility, you have to be that boss. If he's given you that leadership role, whether in the home, take that leadership role. Don't just go with the flow of everything and you know what, I'm going to let everyone do, okay, don't be that leader. But for Diotrephes, he wasn't focused on being a help. He was focused on exercising his own authority and serving his own purposes. But service in the life of a mature believer always outshines personal position. Can you think about in the Bible someone or a couple individuals at a very important time were focused on themselves and not on serving others? Can you, give, can you think of an example? How about the disciples? That's a Passover. Christ is about to give his life for, for the entire world, for all that have sinned. And what does it say in Luke 22? And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he says in verse 26, Jesus saying, But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. You see, what Christ was saying was, look, don't be so preoccupied about your position. Just pick up a towel and serve somebody. No matter what the job is, just, just do it. You know what, Pastor, I see that there's a need here. Uh, it's not really my thing, but if, if I can be a help, can, 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 I, can I help out here? Can I, can I do something? You know, sweetheart, you know what, I, uh, I know I really don't want to do this, but I need to. I, I, I'm not going to just, you know, oh, I'm the man in the house. I, I don't have to do anything. You're the wife. Cook me my meal. <laughs> I'll serve. Sweetheart, let me make you something. You're like, you're, well, some of the wives are like, please don't make me anything. <laughs> Take me out to eat, but don't make me anything. <laughs> you see, Diotrephes got to the point where it was about his position and not a service. You see, he lost sight of it all. And as a result, he, there was a problem taking place. God's work was not able to flow through him like it should have been able to. And it ended up causing a bigger mess than what it should have been. God wants to flow through you. If you're his child, he wants to use you. He wants you to be that vessel that he can use to be a blessing to whoever he has cross your path. Your children, as we said, your co-workers, everyone that you can think of. But if you're not careful and if you don't guard your heart, that work can be hindered. It can be hindered when you think of yourselves or when I think of myself more, as more important than God and his work. When I use my words to hurt instead of help. When I become unteachable. When I am focused on my position and not my service. When I do those things, 
it ends up hindering the work of God. So how can I see God work through me, and how can I guard myself from being a hindrance to the work of God? Number one, make sure God is still sitting supreme on the throne of your hearts and lives. Say, God, search me. Lord, is there anything in my life that I've been focusing on me a little bit too much? Lord, is there something that, that I've been doing and I've been spending my time doing it all and, and, and really it's just because I want to do it and not because it's what's best? Lord, do, am I completely surrendered to all that you have for me to do? Is there anything that I am not willing to do? God, search my heart. Show me. Number two, keep on growing. Don't allow knowledge or experience or just a lack of humility to stunt your growth. Be teachable and ever willing to learn. Paul said, I press toward the mark. I'm not apprehended. I've not accomplished it all. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. So be growing. Keep on growing. Number three, think before you speak and refuse to say something hurtful. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Number four, let God express his love for others through you. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one for another. How can you guard against hindering the work of God? Always be ready to show God's love to somebody in some way, shape, or form. Whether that's telling someone the gospel, whether that is handing someone a track, whether that is just calling someone to say, hey, how's your day going? Is there something I can help you with? Always be ready to be a help and show God's love. And number five, live to serve, not to be served. Live every day to say, Lord, how can I serve you today? Not, Lord, what can I get out of today? Lord, I want you to accomplish this, 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 and this. I need this, this, and this. Lord, what can I do for you? Live every day to serve, not to be served. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. The problem in my home, when it flooded, could have been prevented. It could have. Maybe if I would have watched my kids a little better. Something, people just make bad choices. But hindering the work of God doesn't have to happen. You don't have to be a hindrance. You can be a help like Gaius. The question to ask yourself is, do I look more like the atrophies spiritually? Or do I look more like Gaius? who represented Christ. I think that's important. The work of God is important. And all that we say and do. So who do you better represent? 